0: About 10 years ago, my dad and I went on a trip, a vacation, to the Galapagos Islands to go scuba diving. Both my dad and I are certified scuba divers, and we're really, we were really excited to do this kind of once in a lifetime trip. And we saw some amazing animals there, okay? So marine iguanas, which they're totally little godzillas. They totally are, yep. Um, not only that, blue-footed boobies. And when was the last time you could be at church and hear someone say boobies? That's actually what it's called. That bird is called a booby. Okay, I am not making that up. So we saw blue-footed boobies. Um, we saw hammerhead sharks. We actually dove with hammerhead sharks. It was a migration period, so we saw hundreds of these things. It scared the living bejesus out of me. Okay, um, so but one of the most exciting ones, one of my most memorable moments, was actually with a sea lion. Now I love sea lions. Sea lions are very, are naturally playful animals. Even in the wild, it's not just in the shows. They're, they're very playful. And so on one, one particular dive, there were some sea lions around, and one of them, I kid you not, came right up to me and stopped right in front of me. Now, this wasn't him, this was just one of the shots that the photographer took, but, but that's what it was like. He came up right to me and froze. And, and I was floating in probably about 40 feet of water, maybe about 20 feet there, just sort of suspended. He came up and we both stopped and we looked at each other. And then he spun around, and so I spun around. He flipped, so I flipped. And we started doing this back and forth. And for a moment, for a brief moment, I actually felt like I was part of their world that I wasn't an outsider coming in with all the gear and the oxygen, that I was actually part of their ocean world. Me and this little sea lion down the Galapagos. Well, but unlike the Little Mermaid, I cannot be part of their world. Okay. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> I need the equipment. I need the oxygen tanks. I can go down there. I can spend time. I can connect with an animal like I genuinely believe I did, but I cannot be part of their world. Now all of you are singing the song, aren't you? Yeah, I know that, okay. See, and that's part of what's amazing about Christmas is that God, in all of his infinite greatness, came down to be a part of our world. Not just to visit, Not just to put on an oxygen tank and come on down and walk around a little bit, but to actually be part of our world. That God was born a baby. And that's part of what makes Christmas incredible. But it raises an interesting question. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus have to be born a baby? Think about that. Why did Jesus have to be born a baby? Why couldn't he just show up as a fully developed 30-year-old man? Why not? He could still teach. He could still die. Crucify. All of that, okay? Well, why be born a baby and go through all the the stuff babies do? So over the next three weeks, we're going to answer that question. Because the Bible has some amazing answers to why Jesus was born a baby. It was very specific and very clear that that had to be the case. And so we're going to explore some reasons why. And this, this matters. This is important because how you answer the question, why was Jesus born a baby, is directly connected to how you view Jesus. See, some of you see Jesus as a little bit more on the human side. Some of you fall maybe on the other side and you say you see Jesus as a little bit more divine, a little less human. And how you wrestle with this of God's, of Jesus' divinity and humanity will tell you how you're going to answer the question, why was Jesus born a baby? And so it's important that we understand, and we dig in, and we listen to what God has to say about this question. So for week one here, we're going to start in the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a little unusual of a book. In fact, you might not have even ever read Hebrews before. You might be hard-pressed to even find it flipping or clicking through be like where's Hebrews again well it is in the New Testament it's about three quarters the way through the New Testament and part of what makes Hebrews a challenging book to read is it was written to a Hebrew audience hence its name okay and it, it just as a little comparison the book of Romans was written to a Roman audience. It was a, it was a Greek, Roman, Hellenistic audience, so it used Greek, Roman, Hellenistic logic, which is much more similar to what American Western logic is like. But the book of Hebrews wasn't written to Westerners. It was written to Middle Easterners, Hebrews. And so the, the audience for this book, they were Jewish Christians, so people who were born Jewish probably grew up going to synagogue, re- reading, uh, reading the books of Moses, and then converted over to Christianity. But, but the difference is this book doesn't use Western logic and western style it uses Hebrew logic and Hebrew style as a result it has a lot it has a lot of Old Testament quotes references that might not make any sense to you language that seems strange to us but it wouldn't have seemed strange at all to its audience so we're going to spend we're going to look at Hebrews we're going to look at the second chapter now see what's interesting about the book of Hebrews is there's a theme all throughout the book of Hebrews and it's that Jesus is greater. So the book starts out saying that, talking about that Jesus is greater than the prophets of the Old Testament, who to Jews, they were pretty great. And then it continues to say Jesus is greater than the angels, also pretty great. But Jesus is greater. Then Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Jesus is greater than the Old Testament sacrifices. So, all throughout, over and over again in the book of Hebrews, the author is making a point to say that Jesus is greater than what you have grown up living, doing, and believing. So, the passage we're going to look at here is in Hebrews 2. And it's in the section where, Jesus, where, where the author is making an argument that Jesus is greater than the angels. And then he goes on a little aside here that we're going to look at. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus is greater. And it's one of the best passages in all of Scripture to give you one of the reasons why Jesus was born a baby. So if you want to follow along, it's Hebrews 10, we're, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 2, we're going to start at verse 14, uh, you can flip, click, or look, take your pick, okay, but so we're, we're going to start at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, here it is, since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So are you f- sufficiently confused? Was that a little okay? Yeah, you're starting to get a little glassy-eyed, eyebrows furrowing. Okay, that's okay. Okay, so what we're going to do here, I'm going to do something a little different that I don't often do. We're actually going to go verse by verse with this, actually even phrase by phrase, not even whole verses, because this is really thick. Okay, did you catch that? Like, this is dense stuff. So we're going to slow it down and go phrase by phrase as I explain some of these different parts. And then by the end, here's my promise, by the end, this will make a lot more sense. Okay, so let's start, we're going to start back at 14. Let's go back to 14 and says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Again, were the children... And the he in this is Jesus. Jesus shared in their humanity. That's the core premise. Um, It's really valuable when you're reading scripture is to look for the topic sentence. Remember that from high school? The topic sentence. This is the topic sentence of of these few verses. Since the children are human, Jesus shared in their humanity. So there's the premise. Now the author, which by the way I forgot to mention that we don't even know who wrote the book of Hebrews. For a while, people thought it was Paul, but then as they analyzed the book more, pretty much they've concluded it wouldn't be Paul. The writing style is too different. So we don't even know who wrote it. So you'll just hear me refer to the author because we don't know who it was. So the author now is going to shift into it, and he's going to give you two reasons. Two reasons. Okay, so the next, the next part. So that. That's what's called a purpose clause. That always indicates a reason for what you just read. So remember, we're human, so Jesus is human. So that, here's the reason. Here's reason number one. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So here we see our first reason why Jesus was born a baby. He was born a baby so that he could die. Now that's a, that's a Christmas downer. You don't see that on many Christmas cards, do you? Merry Christmas to the birth of Jesus so he could die. Okay? <laughs> but that's what it says. Jesus was born so that he could die. Because if you think about this, if Jesus just appeared as a fully formed 30-year-old male, if you're familiar with Greek and Roman mythology, Aphrodite emerged from the ocean, fully formed. There was no child Aphrodite. That's not how Jesus worked. Because if you think about this, if he just appeared as a full 30-year-old, he couldn't really die because he was never really born. He would just unappear. He would just, what, dissolve? I don't know. But but if you aren't really born, you can't really die. So the first reason, the author says, the first reason Jesus was born was so that he could die. Now, why does he have to die? He begins by saying that there is something about Jesus' death that disarms, that defeats Satan. It, some, some translations will translate this as destroy. Um, a better translation, this is actually, I think, a better translation of it, this idea of breaking the power. Because um, this word stands for, like, um, disarming, taking away, like, defanging death, in a sense. So that's what this word means. And that's, that's what happened when Jesus died. Now, he's going to explain this in about another verse and a half. About Okay, why does him dying destroy the power of Satan? How does that work? Okay? He's going to explain that a little bit. But there is this sense that, that his, Jesus' death was bigger than just a normal death. Okay? So let's continue. So that, now the second reason. That was the first. The second reason. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So now, notice Jesus died not just to defeat and, and decrease and diminish the power of Satan, but part of what happens there is that our fear of death, your fear of death, is removed. Your fear of the consequences of your own sin. Your fear of separation from God. Your fear of what happens. How do we know really what happens after death? Maybe we're all just like candles that just get blown out. What happens after death? That can be a scary thing for a lot of people. And Jesus came to say he became human to die so that he could remove the fear of death in us. And for those who believe in Jesus, for those who follow Jesus, we have no reason to fear death because we know that Jesus Christ took the punishment for our own sin. We do not have to take the punishment for our sin. We can spend an eternity with God because of Jesus. And that's why, that's why his death says it takes away Satan's power. Okay, so let's continue. Now, now the author adds a little aside. He says, "For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants." Notice, remember I, how I mentioned this whole section was about angels? So he kind of ties it back into this idea of the angels. Um, but so, who are Abraham's descendants? Who are these? Well, to the original hearers of this document, that was probably read, or sorry, read out loud, that abraham's descendants referred to the jews it referred that was a reference to the hebrews abraham was the father of the the hebrew nation and as a result all of the hebrews ever since abraham were the children of abraham okay. but now when christ came christ redefined what childhood under god meant so all those that believe in christ the church We are now spiritual children of Abraham. I am not Jewish. I was not born Jewish. I will never end up turning Jewish. But I am a spiritual child of Abraham. While, While the Hebrews were blood children of Abraham. So that's a reference to us. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you follow him, you are a spiritual child of Abraham. You are a descendant of Abraham. So so he's saying that Jesus didn't come to save the angels. He actually came to save us. Again, remember, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than the angels because he came for us. Okay, let's keep going. For this reason, now, now he's going to repeat, reiterate himself. For this reason, he had to be made like them. That's a powerful phrase. He didn't choose to be made like them. He didn't consider it an option that seemed best at the time to be made like them. He had to be made like them, like us. He had to be human. There was no other option. In fact, a better translation of that, he had to be, I love it. It's that it was necessary to be human. It was essential to be human. Those are, those are gr- both great translations of this word, had to be. So it was essential. Now, what was essential? That he was kind of human? He, was, he put on kind of like a human mask and a human body for a few years, but he was really still God? No. No. Take a look at this phrase, fully human in every way. And that's really important. That is critical to understand that Jesus wasn't God and a little human. Or he only appeared human, but really he was God. Or that he took on the form of a human, but he really wasn't quite human. No. Fully human in every way. That means he was everything that we have experienced, he has experienced. Fully human. And that was part of what was remarkable about God coming down. That's what makes Christmas amazing. Is that Jesus Christ, even at birth, was fully human, but he also was fully God. There was nothing about his humanity that diminished his divinity. And there was nothing about his divinity that diminished his humanity. It's kind of one of the things that make your brain hurt in Christian theology if you think about this, but, but that's how it worked. Somehow God pulled off something that none of us can even really wrap our heads around fully. Fully human in every way. Okay, so now, now the author's going to switch and he's going to give you another purpose clause. Translated as, in order that. Okay, so in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but it would to a Hebrew audience because the the high priest was kind of the head honcho of the, the synagogue. The high priest was the one person who could actually go into God's physical presence in the temple. The high priest was the one who could offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of your sins. The high priest was not even pastor. That's not even equivalent. I don't know if there's like an uber pastor or a mega pastor or um, if you're Catholic, go the pope, okay? Whatever sort of the highest, best, greatest religious leader person you could think of. That's the equivalent of a high priest. But in here, what's important is that the high priest was the one who did sacrifices, who offered sacrifices for people's sins. And the Old Testament set this up. God set this up with Moses' law that animal sacrifice offered symbolic forgiveness of sins. But it was only temporary. Because you had to come back the next day, the next month, the next year, and offer another sacrifice. And so what the author is saying is that Jesus was going to come forward. He had to be born a human to be a high priest. Because high priests had to come from a certain clan of Hebrews. They were called the Levites. And this clan, the Levites were born kind of family after family, and they were the priestly class. Nobody from outside that clan could be a priest. That includes someone who just magically appeared as a 30-year-old fully developed human. That person would not be a Levite. He couldn't be a high priest. If Jesus couldn't be a high priest, he couldn't offer a sacrifice for our sins. It wouldn't work. So he had to be born a human. So, so that's, that's one of the other reasons that the author gives. Now, let's continue. He, he, there's one more big thing, and this is the explanation of the chief priest, and here's his. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Okay, now we, we broke out a little church word there, atonement. What is that? Okay, so here it is. Here's probably the clearest explanation of what atonement is. It's Christ bringing humanity, that's us, who are separated from God. It's Christ bringing us back into relationship with God. Our sin separates us from God. All the wrong that we do, all the times we violate God's law and God's desire and God's heart, that's sin. That sin separates us from God. And what this, in the Old Testament, what the sacrifices did is they made atonement, and it brought people back into relationship with God. Okay? The word atonement, actually, it, originally, it's at one meant. That's what the word means, at-one-ment. So that when sins are atoned for, we are, once again, at one with God. And that's the big reason. And we're actually going to talk about that in, in some more in a couple weeks. Okay? But why Jesus was born a human? So that he could be the high priest. So that he could offer once and for all atonement, making you at one with God again. Because if you, if you are not forgiven of your sins, you're not at one with God. You are separated from God. In fact, the Bible even describes us as enemies of God. If we have not received and accepted Jesus', forgiveness, or Jesus death for our forgiveness. But he wanted to become the great high priest, and he did. And he had to be human to do that. He had to be human. Okay, so let's summarize all, so first, is it making a little bit more sense now? See, I think so, I think so. Okay, let's summarize all of this up into one good sentence. Here it is. Jesus needed a human birth to die a human death to forgive a human sin. Jesus needed a human birth to die a human death to forgive a human sin. That's why Jesus was born a baby. That's why we needed a manger. We needed a a fully God, fully human baby who cried and wept and needed diapers changed. He needed a human birth to die a human death, to forgive a human sin. Now, Why does this matter? Why does this matter kind of in our daily lives, day in and day out, work and home? Well, here's why. Because what you believe about Jesus' divinity and humanity, it affects how you relate to God. It affects how you think about God. It affects how you think about Christianity. Because here's the problem. Our brains are wired to make sense of the universe. Right? Biochemically, neurologically, psychologically, our brains are wired to make sense in the universe. When we see or hear or learn that somebody was fully God and fully human, you know what our brain, go, our brain just goes like, okay, it just fries. Because our brain can't figure that out. Uh, Psychologists call this cognitive dissonance. There's a break in our thinking, and we can't reconcile it. So you know what we do? Between Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity, and, and all of us do this. We start elevating one and lessening the other. Because this makes it easier to understand. It makes it easier to say that maybe you land on the side of emphasizing Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. And, and so you got things like Jesus is your best friend. It's the Jesus is my homeboy. Okay? It's, it's that sense of Jesus' humanity. Jesus is a good moral teacher among many good moral teachers. But because Jesus was really kind of mostly human, change is up to us. We're kind of on our own. We can, date, we can take Jesus' principles, because he's, he's a great teacher, but we're kind of on our own to change our lives, to fix ourselves up. Okay. And then, Or maybe you have a strong emphasis on the love teachings of the Bible, and no judgment, loving others, and all of that. And if that's true, if those kind of resonate with you a little bit, then you might be falling further on your left side of this scale. Because this isn't an either-or. It's not like it's, okay, that's not how we work. We do this. Yeah, I think is a little more human. Or like, no, I'm going to relate this way to Jesus, okay? So, so I picture this as a spectrum. This isn't an either-or. So some, some of you see Jesus as more human, Because again, your brain has to reconcile this 100% God, 100% human. I took math classes. That doesn't add up, okay? So now, some of you, on the other hand, some of you might land the other side. Some of you might land more and focus more on Jesus' divinity. And for you, God might feel really far away. I I I once heard an analogy made that uh, for the reason that you want to dress up in church, because, because if you were to go visit the king of Thailand, um, the, and the now departed king of Thailand, but if you were to visit the king of Thailand, you wouldn't wear grubby clothes. You'd put on your best and you'd be respectful. But the problem with that analogy, the king of Thailand is someone so far distant that none of us little peons would ever get to go shake his hand. And so if you focus more on God's divinity, you might see God more like the king of Thailand. Like someone who's so far away from you, so much better than you, that you couldn't really touch. You'll kind of wave at him from the car. Or maybe you might think of God as too holy. And and you might say things like yourself, be like, oh, I'm only human. Or if you knew what I have done, then you would agree that God wouldn't want anything to do with me. You might see God as too holy. Or you might see God as judgmental. You might see Him like a parent who's just always mad at you. You have a relative like that, or a parent, or hopefully not a spouse? If so, then come to our relationship series in February. Okay. So so maybe maybe you see God as a parent who's just always mad at you and all of your mistakes. Or maybe Christianity for you, Christianity is about behaviors. You be good, you try not to to cuss, you only drink a little bit, you try to make it to church and be a good person, and whether it's be a good son or daughter and young, but Christianity becomes all about behaviors for you. It's not about relationship. It's not about a personal God. It's about a distant God. So if any of those sound familiar, if any of those kind of gel with you, chances are you might be sitting too far over on focusing on God's divinity. So where do you fall? Do you tend to take God's humanity and focus a little more on that? Or do you tend to take God's divinity and focus a little bit more on that? And the tension of Christmas says we have to hold these two realities together. That God is fully human in every way and fully God in every way. His humanity did not diminish His divinity. His divinity did not diminish His humanity. Now, either way you land you're gonna miss out something of Christmas. You're gonna miss out on something big. Either you're gonna miss out that God in all his power and might and holiness and separateness came down as a baby, a fully human baby. Or you might miss that as a human as one of the children the Hebrew talk, the passage talked about, you can relate to God. And that Jesus wants a relationship with you. Jesus doesn't want behaviors. He wants a relationship with you. And now, don't get me wrong. Out of the relationship, then behaviors come. Behaviors change. Thoughts change. Ideas change. But God, first and foremost, wants a relationship with you. And this passage in Hebrews ends with the following verse. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. But listen to this. Because he himself suffered, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Now isn't that a great Christmas promise? That Jesus, as the great high priest, fully human, who was tempted because humans are tempted. But the difference is he never gave in. We give in. He never gave in to sin. But he was tempted. And he's here to help you. He's here to help you. And that's part of the hope of Christmas. See, that Jesus needed a human birth to die a human death to forgive a human sin and help you when you are tempted. That's why Jesus was born a baby.